Welcome to the New School at Commonweal, a collaborative learning project exploring nature, culture, and consciousness. Join us now for a conversation with Kate Hupke, Executive Director of San Francisco Village, and Michael Lerner as they discuss the village movement, aging, and community. Kate Hopke, welcome to the new school. Thank you. It's great to be here. You are the executive director of San Francisco Village. What is San Francisco Village? Uh, San Francisco Village is a community-based membership organization of older adults who want to stay in the homes and neighborhoods that they love. Uh, but as we get older, we all, well, most of us know, some of us know, some of us don't know, uh, that we're going to need some support and services in order to maintain our independence or stay in charge of our own lives. And how are we going to find that support and, and those services? So the village came together in response to that, uh, in response to the need for community, uh, community connection, and also um, help in navigating the transitions that are up ahead. Uh, so right now we are 340 members in 20 different San Francisco neighborhoods. And we also have about 120 non-member volunteers of all ages that help our members with all kinds of things on a daily basis. Uh, and we're becoming much more rooted in our community. We've, we started in January of 2009. So we just were about six and a half years old. And we were in the planning phase for about two years. So what you said, Michael, about the, uh, the challenges that come with, with launching a community like this, they're very real. Uh, so it took, and I, most of the villages that I'm familiar with took about that period of time to plan uh, and to actually launch. Now, there are all kinds of villages. What are there, 150 to 200, depending on how you count? Right. And this started Beacon Hill in Boston. Right. And tell us that story. So currently, uh, there are about 165 established villages across the country and about another 100 or 120 in development. Um, and as you say, it started in Boston in 2002 with uh, Beacon Hill Village. It was a group of neighbors who were all aging, you know, each independently in their own home and realizing that they kept, they were reinventing the wheel. And so they decided to come together and create a community where they could support each other in those efforts. And they designed this and it was very successful. Uh, they had about four or 500 members within about three or four or five years. And so they thought they were, they knew they were onto something. So um, they developed a package of startup information. And somebody had a connection with the New York Times, and there was an article in the national edition of the New York Times in 2006, and then it really caught fire. Uh, and there was a group in San Francisco that read the article and um, got together and started their planning in, I think, early 2007. So... Um, but you struggled for a few years. The, oh, yeah. As uh, you mentioned to me before, there were like four or five executive directors yeah. in the first two years. Okay. So that well, it wasn't a piece of cake for anybody. No, yeah. it's not. It's, I don't know of a village that it's a piece of cake for. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because we're, we're doing something that might be, you know, when you were talking earlier, I was kind of thinking about, you know, how when you're trying to walk out of the ocean and the ocean keeps bringing you back in? You know, sometimes when you're trying to create something like this, you're just really faced with, with forces 
that um, are, are difficult. And um, so San Francisco Village did struggle in the beginning. Um, and there were a number of, mm, I like cracks in the sidewalk, I would say, uh, in terms of staff turnover and um, in terms of clearly articulating uh, what I call the value proposition. So for those of you that have a business background, that just means, you know, what is it that we're offering and what is it that people are buying into? And is that clearly defined? So really it's a small business. It is. It's a small business. It has to have a compelling value proposition and you have to have more income than expenditures. You have to control costs and you have to have income coming in which comes in in the form of fees from members, yes. but also grants and contributions of different Exactly. Yeah. About 30% of our operating budget comes from membership fees, and the other 70% is a combination of fundraising and foundation grants. Um, fortunately for us, uh, we have a very progressive city government in San Francisco, and so we were given a grant by the Board of Supervisors a couple of years ago uh, because they they could see what they were facing, a very rapidly aging population. Um, and that's just, that's the picture across the country, across the world. Um, and so how are they going to be an aging-friendly city? But a lot of the villages don't get much grant support at all. Well, it depends. Um, uh-huh. A lot of them don't get municipal funds like okay. we do. We're kind of a unique in that way. But I would say that most villages have some combination of foundation grants, fundraising, and membership fees. And as you said earlier, there's all these different ways of being a village. So there are the all-volunteer villages, um, and then there's the ones that are professionally staffed, like San Francisco. So depending on you know what it is you're trying to create, it's going to depend on how much money you need to do it. Now, there are rural as well as urban villages. I yeah, and yeah. suburban, yeah. for sure. And... Um, when uh, so you spoke about the value proposition, what is the value proposition? Yeah, uh, so it kind of boils down to I, I think of it as a three or four legged stool, depending upon what day of the week I'm talking about it. But um, basically, what members join us for is one, they want to belong to something bigger than themselves, so it's a community, it's a community, right. And so there's all kinds of research and data that talks about the negative effects of social isolation on any human being, but especially on us as we age. Uh, There's all kinds of negative health outcomes associated with isolation, um, increased risk of depression, increased risk of suicide, all different kinds of uh, negative outcomes. So staying connected is really important. And of course, as we get older, our social networks diminish. So it's not some personal failing of mine. It's the fact that this is a developmental process. So when we stop working or when our friends decide to move to a retirement community or people die or people move across country to be with their kids or for a variety of reasons, our networks are shrinking. And how do you extend your network in your 60s and 70s? That can be a real difficulty. So the intentionality of coming together and saying, we want to do this because we know it's healthy and good um, is really important. So first and foremost, yes, we are a community. That's a big part of the value proposition. The other thing is that in San Francisco, in San Francisco Village, we help our members navigate the transition of aging. 
because we have expertise in aging. So we have a professional staff of four people uh, with backgrounds in the field of aging. We're very well connected with the resources in the city. As you mentioned earlier, Michael, all villages are aware of the fact that they do not want to duplicate services. Uh, we want to leverage services. We think of ourselves as a curator, if you will, or a coordinator, where a member is going to come to us and tell us a story. This is the problem that I'm encountered, and we're going to help them navigate that. So we might say, well, you know, you could benefit from talking with a fiduciary who's a professional who can help you in that regard. And then over here on this side, you might need a volunteer that can take you to the grocery store once a week. We can help with that. And then, so we're trying to put together a set of fixes. Uh, and we're not trying to duplicate anything. So that's a big part of the value proposition. And then the other thing that is just critically important is the social capital that we're leveraging. Um, you know, most of us who want to stay in our own homes and neighborhoods, um, we say, you know, we want to continue to have an intergenerational experience. We like having young people around. We like having people, all different kinds of people um, in our lives. And so we are very um, conscious of that, about bringing young people into the process. Um, and so, you know, we've got teenagers up through early retirees who are helping our members with all kinds of um, things like grocery shopping or transportation is a big one, um, and technology support. So I can't tell you how many people call the office and they say, I just bought this iPhone and I just hit the wall, you know? And so could you please send me a child, you know? <laughs> and we say, certainly, we're happy to do that. Um, so, and on the other side of that, um, there was a young man that volunteered for us a couple of summers ago. He's now at Yale University. Um, and when he came to us, that was the thing he loved to do was to help people learn how to use their iPads and their phones. So he would go out and meet with them one-on-one. -on -one. And then he developed this whole cheat sheet for them and all this stuff. And when his time was up, I said, so Jesus, tell me, well, how was this experience for you? And he said, you know, I had no idea that I had anything to teach. And it was such an important thing for this young man at 18 years old to say, there's something that I have to offer this older adult in my community, and they're not even related to me. Um, and I think that, you know, societally, there are a lot of barriers, uh, you know, in terms of, of generations coming together. So we work really hard to try to break those down one relationship at a time. So another part of the value proposition which fascinates me is that uh, you provide people with access to prefer, prefer, preferred providers yes. across a range of of yeah. services who you vetted. Right. But on top of that, where it's possible, you can negotiate lower fees with right. some providers by providing them with access to this market. Right. Um, and I just think that's a terrifically valuable part of the value proposition. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Because most of us, you know, when you're confronted with a problem and if there's any kind of stress associated with it, you're just, you know, it's just really hard. How, who do I turn to? Who, I don't know the right person to talk to. I don't know the right questions to ask, let alone who to ask them of sometimes. Um, sometimes it's really simple. Like, you know, I need a roofer or I need an electrician or something like that. But other times it has more to do with changes that are occurring in your life or your partner's life. And so, you know, you... 
you may you need to talk with a trusted person. You know, I, oftentimes I speak to groups and I say, how many of you know what a geriatric care manager is? And a lot of people don't know that this professional exists or a fiduciary. What do fiduciaries do? What's the difference between home care and, you know, home health care? Uh, they're different. So there's all these nuances that are going to come into play. So that's another big part of our value proposition, as you say, referring people to providers that we trust and asking our members to give us feedback about their experiences. Uh, but also, the um, oh, this idea just fell out of my head. Does that ever happen to you? All the time. <laughs> it was just right there, you know, and it's gone. Um, uh, it'll come back. Yeah, it will. Or okay, not. Thank you. A very forgiving group. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean it. I, I yeah. just, oh, what was I going to say? So. Oh, I know. I just. <laughs> the other thing that we, as a big part of the value proposition, is that we take this proactive, pro-social, educational approach to aging. So when I first started in this job three and a half years ago, I met with different people, especially members, to find out what their thoughts were and, and were they getting what they expected. And one of the members said to me, don't protect me from the truth. I have a tendency to be in denial about just about everything. And she was in her mid-80s at the time, and she was living alone, and there were a whole lot of things that she wasn't facing. And she said, so help me face them. You know, bring them to my attention. So we do a lot of workshops and classes and gatherings and all different kinds of ways to help people think through things that, you know, they might not do on their own. And unprompted, they won't do. Mm -hmm. So uh, we were talking about what villages look like in rural areas. And I know the one that we're helping develop. And my colleague, Tihan Kerry, the story here is that I gave... Uh, I read Atul Gawande's uh, Being Human. And what is it? Being Mortal, thank you. And, um, and I uh, really thought it was important. So I wrote a review of it. And we have this center up on, on Whidbey called Healing Circles Langley, north of Seattle. And they asked me to come give a talk about Atul's book. So I did. And Atul talks about the village model in the course of his discussion of being mortal and specifically about trying to help his parents who were older and they were looking for uh, something. And so he talked about the village. So in this talk, the leadership emerged that wanted to form a village on Whidbey. Now, the woman who uh, did it is a woman named Lynn Williford. And Lynn, who, um, it's just like Belina, she's the, she and her husband run the local movie theater, which is like this tiny little movie theater, you know. And um, she's at the ticket window, and he sells the popcorn, and popcorn's still 75 cents or whatever. And um, But Lynn has formed seven or eight nonprofits on Whidbey Island, taking leadership to do this. And she has this whole model of how they're all volunteer. She starts them, and she's off the board in five years or seven, you know, something like that. And if you listen to her podcast on the new school, she's one of the truly astonishing social entrepreneurs that I've met. But such people exist in our community, you know. And so, um, so one of the things that will turn out to be critical 
is whether the leadership emerges that wants to take on the years of dedicated work to make this happen. And my experience is that, and we were talking about this over lunch, it requires at least one person who is fully dedicated to this. Mm -hmm. And then typically a group of people mm -hmm. form a core group. Mm -hmm. And because it can't be done by one person, but it typically requires somebody who's just willing to completely give themselves to this and think about it 24-7, mm -hmm. you know? And then, so going back to the broader point, um, what you mentioned was that in West Marin, to afford something like this, you don't want the infrastructure in five separate villages. Right. So you can have a, a hub-and-spoke model where the infrastructure is centralized, mm -hmm. and then you have you know, village communities that are much more natural for us because we tend to be clustered in our you know, various West Marin communities. Right. So do you actually know of villages that have done that, or have you heard about them? Or there are a few um, mm -hmm. of the hub-and-spoke model, and mm -hmm. actually your neighbors in Marin, mm -hmm. um, East Marin, mm -hmm. they have a hub-and-spoke model. Mm -hmm. And I think there's about four or five communities mm -hmm. uh, that are, um, and, and they benefit from one hub. Mm -hmm. And the idea there, of course, is that you just, you can't invest. There's, it just costs too much money. Mm -hmm to create the infrastructure for every single one of those little mm -hmm. villages. So if you can hire some staff mm -hmm. in one central location, mm -hmm. and then you can leverage that uh, organization, if you will, mm -hmm. uh, then I think it's more doable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What else have you learned from uh, your years of doing this that strike you uh, as kind of critical to anyone considering developing a, a village? Yeah, you know, what we talked about at lunch, I think, is um, the fact that this is a business, mm -hmm. that it's a small business. So that entrepreneurial spirit is really important and also a clear understanding of what it takes to run an organization. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's, that's really important. So the, the notion of visionary leadership, mm -hmm. somebody that can really see this and has the charisma to be able to bring together all the talent that's mm -hmm. needed. I think that's really important. Um, and I think that some of that key talent should be, you know, people that understand um, develop organizational development and also understand marketing. Um, I find that really useful in my work um, that mostly what we're trying to do all the time is increase visibility and increase awareness. Uh, because so many, this is such a new idea to so many people, and it's a story that has to be told. So it's kind of difficult to get the word out with an ad in the paper or with, you know, direct mail or some of the traditional forms of advertising. It's a, it, it's a much bigger story than that. So somebody that understands that, public relations, and um, I'm part of a, a larger group of people that were interested in creating a California coalition of villages. Mm. Uh, because we realized that our numbers, you know, were stronger when we're together. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's one of the key, the key reasons for creating a coalition is to get that established messaging, you know, and that is so that we can scale. We talked about this earlier, too. I'm amazed that we don't have more people belonging to villages, to tell you the truth. So we have 340 people in San Francisco, and I say, why don't we have thousands when you consider the market? 
Um, and so I struggle with that. You know, what, what is the resistance that people have to doing this? Um, and a lot of it, I think, comes down to um, the note. We talk, we talk about this idea of rugged individualism as Americans, right? And this independence and this, I raised, I've been raised up this way and I've lived my whole life this way. I don't really need other people and I'm not going to ask for help. And we run into this all the time. So I'll be talking to somebody in their early 80s about joining, and she's telling me, I'm not ready yet. <laughs> and I'm like, really? You know, I'm not sure what you're waiting for. Um, and I think a lot of us are waiting for a crisis or we're waiting for some kind of, you know, well, when I need a whole set of services, then I'll call you. And what I'm suggesting to them is that's not the time to build community. The time to build community is long before you need any of that stuff. And so it's really changing our mindset around aging. And this kind of goes to one of my favorite topics, actually, which is that um, there's an initiative underway right now um, at the national level, and it's undertaken by a group of about seven or eight big aging organizations like the American Society on Aging and AARP and National Council on Aging and all the big guns. And they all recognize that our notions around aging, the conversation around aging is one that most of us avoid and that there's a need to reframe aging. There's a really a need to talk about it differently. And so they've hired a group in Washington, D.C. called the Frameworks Institute to undertake a... Um, uh, you know, it's kind of like they've, they've compared it to the smoking cessation campaigns of 20 years ago, which worked. Um, and this idea of, you know, how do we talk about aging where it's not something that's about deterioration and disability and, you know, being marginalized? Who wants to talk about that? You know, all, all of us want to deny that or we want to resist it. Or we use language that talks about it as the enemy or fighting against it or the notion of anti-aging. You know, it's like, what? So, um, so this, you know, effort to reframe it is something that I think is really needed. And so I think we're kind of at the, the early stages of that. And what I'm hoping is going to happen is that, you know, as we progress here in the next few years, if we're successful at broadening conversation and giving ourselves permission, you know, to say, yeah, I want to have these conversations and it's okay to ask for help and I need other people. You know, um, you all remember Maggie Kuhn, the founder of the Grey Panthers. I came across this um, idea of hers this morning where she said, instead of making a fetish of independence, we should value the idea of interdependence between generations. And um, that's a lovely idea, but actualizing that, you know, manifesting that is, mm -hmm. is hard. So what is the fee that people pay annually to belong to San Francisco Village? In San Francisco, it's $600 a year for an individual or $50 a month. Mm -hmm. And for a household, it's seven hundred and fifty a year, or sixty-two fifty a month. And how does that fit with the range of fees across the country? Um, right, smack dab in the middle, pretty much. Um, 
The high end charges around 900 for an individual and maybe 1200 for a household. And the low end, um, they charge maybe 200 a month. Um, and I think that there are a few volunteer organizations that might try to get by on less than that. Um, that would be my advice to any group that's getting started. Don't shortchange yourselves when it comes to revenue. <laughs> um, it's the engine that, that drives every organization. And it's hard to increase fees later. Uh, so it's better to think it through in the beginning. And, you know, we were talking, too, earlier about the fact that the village model really um, is primarily focused on a middle-income group of people. So those folks that can afford $600 a year in San Francisco would be middle-income folks. Mm -hmm. And um, from a public policy perspective, there are very few policies or programs that are targeted to the middle-income group of people. We have a lot in San Francisco, for example, for the low-income people. Um, and one of our partners is the um, director of the Department of Aging and Adult Services, Ann Hinton. And um, she's, she talks quite eloquently about this, that the Older Americans Act and the place where the federal dollars come down through the counties and come down to individuals um, were very much targeted to low-income folks. But their mandate... Is, is big. Their mandate says you should serve all people, all older adults. So Anne will say, how am I going to do that? You know, the money always runs out uh, if, because we have to pay for programs for people that most need it. And that makes sense. But this, so this middle income group of people is constantly left out. So the village is really partly in response to that as well. Mm -hmm. um, and we do have about 15% of our membership is low income. So mm -hmm. we have a scholarship fund. Mm -hmm. um, but we're trying to build up, you know, some, some strength and some infrastructure from people that can afford it. Yeah. It, it, we were, again, we're referencing the lunch conversation, but in Westmoran and San Francisco, you have a portion of the, of the community that's really quite wealthy sometimes very wealthy. So they can really do whatever they want, you know. And then you have low-income people um, who uh, are struggling and there are some services for low-income people. But then you have the people who are above the cutoff line for low-income but aren't wealthy and are trying to figure out how to stay in their homes and age in their community. And... And so the value proposition has to be compelling. Mm -hmm. That if you're going to spend $50 a month or $600 a year, you absolutely want to know that you're going to get your money's worth. You mm -hmm. know? So how do you get your money's worth? And a series of very practical things. You know? Instead of having to hunt around, for example, you know, happened to a friend of ours just this week. You know, somebody in the, in the household gets really sick and they need in-home care, mm -hmm. right? Well, who's going to vet the home health care providers? And, you know, fortunately in Bolinas, it's a small enough community that we can call around and know somebody who knows somebody. But there'll be other people moving into town or who don't have those connections. So it would be invaluable to figure out in short order, mm -hmm. you know, how to do that. Or who's a bookkeeper you can trust as your capacity to do your own bookkeeping fades mm -hmm. or, you know, Who's going to review the will that you haven't looked at for the last 10 years? Or, 
you know, all these different mm-hmm. realities, mm-hmm. Uh, it's got to be a compelling value proposition. Yeah, it yeah. really does. Yeah. And depending upon the needs of the group. So that's something that the group has to identify early on. Right. What, are, what is compelling for us? Right. What is most important to us? I would imagine transportation would be a big issue mm-hmm. here. because And once we stop driving, then how are we going to get places? But that's critical uh, because it can, you know, lead to isolation and, and really somebody feeling cut off from their lives. So having some kind of a network uh, where you're willing to help each other out with transportation mm-hmm. is really important. Um, so that let's take that for a minute. Um, transportation can be provided by volunteers. Yes. But do the members themselves sometimes get together and say they do that? All the time. Yeah. So we, there's, yes. What we do, somebody can call up the office and say, I need a ride to the doctor next Wednesday. Can you please find somebody? And we mm-hmm. do that. And, um, or they could say, I'm actually having an outpatient procedure, and uh, could somebody take me, wait around for me, and then bring me home? We do that all the time, too. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody else might say, I can't get to the grocery store and carry the bags back into my home by myself. Can you find somebody to help me with that? Um, and then there's really simple things where they connect with each other by in a, in a group, and they say, "Can I get a ride?" You know, every um, every other Tuesday morning we do a meditation group, so people get to know each other, and they might say, "Oh, we live in the same neighborhood. I'll pick you up next time," or same for the writers' workshop or whatever. You know, so um, they're doing all these casual things, and then there's times when we're doing it for them. You're listening to a conversation with Kate Hepke and Michael Lerner. You know, you talked about reframing aging, and it would be so easy to see that as uh, as a superficial thing. You know, like, mm. oh, let's reframe this as some wonderful experience that we're all having together. <laughs> but there's, you know, we've done these, we've done the Cancer Help Program for 30 years, and and it has helped prepare me for the losses I experience in aging. Um, And what I would say is that um, those losses, I mean, you know, my tremor's gotten worse, my hearing's gotten worse, you know, my erotic capacity has gone through the floor. You know, you, you list them, you know, there's a long list. And some of them feel like very grievous losses, very grievous. And so for me, one of the things I've learned to do from the Cancer Health Program is that when I'm losing something that really matters to me, I take the time and space to grieve it. Mm-hmm. I take the time and space to grieve it. And the other side of that is that I have this deep, deep conviction that a wound is not only a wound, but it is an opening. Mm-hmm. And it is through that opening that the light can come. So every time I'm grieving a loss, I'm asking myself, you know, just stay open to the blessing of this, no matter how hard it is, Mm -hmm. no matter how deep a loss it is. Mm -hmm. And so it seems to me that, you know, I mean, I'm sure these organizations have hired this good PR firm and are going to reframe aging for us. But I think at the grassroots level of how we actually experience this in community, mm-hmm. it's related to what we've learned in the Cancer Help Program, which is not only the individual aspects that these incredible losses, I mean, 
shattering losses sometimes require grief, but that the grief is in turn, if you are aware of it, Mm -hmm. an opening to something. Mm -hmm. And I trust the ability of our communities, yours in San Francisco, more than I trust the major organizations and the Framework Institute to understand what that... I mean, I'm just being provocative. Well, that's fine. So let me respond to that. So the reason I bring up the reframing initiative is because I'm talking more at a macro level and a societal, social issue level that um, we have a problem in this country of... uh, becoming invisible as we yeah. get older yeah. and fighting against something that we don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, so I think what I'm talking about when I talk about reframing mm-hmm. is that can we see aging at a population level, mm-hmm. that it's not this individual necessarily who has the, a problem, mm-hmm. you know, who doesn't have the resources or doesn't have the transportation or doesn't have the support that they need, but what kind of social policies do we need to enact Mm -hmm. to build a safety net for us that goes beyond Social Security and Medicare? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that we're not paying attention to that. And I think also that in our society, in our youth-oriented culture that focuses so much on, you know, beauty as, you know, glamour Mm -hmm. or something, you know, um, that there's a, that we misunderstand what aging is about. So mm-hmm. the, the, the blessings and the vicissitudes, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, and I think it's important that we have these conversations, much like we were talking about Atul Gawande, who's kind of changing mm-hmm. the conversation about how we die mm-hmm. and um, how we are prepared for that. Um, and so how we age is, um, there's more choice in it, I think, than we're aware of. Um, but we have to get in the flow of it. Um, like you're saying, entering the wound, you know, being being willing to kind of go with what's true now, mm-hmm. my limitations or my fears or my the losses that I'm experiencing. Um, that's very individual. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, the reframing issue is really is more one of at a social, population level. So social yeah. policy level. Well, I will be intrigued to see have they have they put anything out yet. Yeah, actually, there's a. Um, they've done a first report, and the first report talks a lot about the discrepancy between what those of us in the field, professionals, feel around aging, and the general public feels around aging. And um, that there's a no surprise to a lot of people here that we live in a fairly ageist society. Um, and so, you know, the one of the actually the, this I'm going to reference another article that I read recently in the New York Times and um, this woman uh, defines ageism as an internalized bias against my own future self oh how beautiful how about that and we let's just say that again an internalized bias against my own future self right ageism isn't that a beautiful line it's really sweet and that we do that at a young age, yeah. and that we carry ourselves into aging with that internalized yeah. bias. So it's an inside job, yeah. uh, <laughs> but it's also it's part of our collective. But you know, when you talked about, and this is an obvious point, many people have made it. But there were, of course, we all know, it's almost a cliche, but traditional societies, frequently but not all, all, always, honored age, right? Why? Because older people carried a fund of deeply useful knowledge to the community and they 
carried the traditions mm -hmm. by which the community lived. Poof, the traditions are gone. Mm -hmm. And more than that, it's young people who understand how the iPhones work and everything else, so that our sense of our complete inadequacy mm -hmm. uh, to function in a world where the technologies just mm -hmm. change with lightning speed. Mm -hmm. um, and so there, it's not only a, uh, a perception of ourselves, it is an actuality of the transformation of the relationship of youth and age mm -hmm. that we're also struggling with, I mm -hmm. think. Mm -hmm. In other words, it's real. Ageism is not just an internalized state of denigrating our future. It's also a recognition that we're living in a world where the transformations are so rapid that young people are the only ones with real potential to... Uh, live in the middle of them. I'm overstating it slightly, but yeah. you hear what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, ever more reason, though, yeah. you know, to build these bridges. Absolutely. Between these generations so that, because it's so true that as we get older, I think we struggle with our own relevance. Right. And we struggle with knowing about what's my contribution. And as you say, the technologies just change the game completely. And so if we're behind on anything, we're feeling really left out. And so finding, you know, ways in which we, we do have very much to contribute, mm -hmm. I mean, that's another reason for creating a village mm -hmm. um, is to establish this sort of sense of, you know, yes, you're needed, and this is how you're needed, um, and also to elevate our status. And you know, you talked about becoming invisible, and of course, that's particularly true for women as they get older. And I've heard some fascinating conversations among women. I have two extraordinarily wise women friends who are very networked human beings in this world, but they both experience invisibility. But one of them said to us, you know, I actually love invisibility because then I can watch and nobody notices that I'm watching, you know? <laughs> and so there's just these different dimensions of, you know, how one experiences invisibility. I mean, it takes a different form for men, but um, there are ways in which, um, in which young people pass you and they don't even seem to notice that you're there, you know? Mm -hmm. It's just like you're basic, even a man as well as a woman, just, you're not relevant to their world, you know? Mm -hmm. And so why even look up mm -hmm. from what they're doing? So. so, you know, one of the things that we did in response to that, yeah. uh, because we hear that all the time, yeah. we just know that it's true. Um, we started about a year and a half ago a partnership with a local high school. And this is, it's called City Arts and Technology High School in the Excelsior District, if any of you know San Francisco. It's, a, it's an immigrant neighborhood, and uh, it's a fairly low-income neighborhood. And so the teachers there um, had started a community learning program, some kind of um, service learning. And so they contacted us because they wanted these ninth graders to connect with our members, our older adults. And so it's been so successful that every ninth grader for the last 18 months has come and, and had these conversations, these one-on-one -on -one conversations. 
And so it started out that they were going to come and ask the older adults questions about their career choices. And what did you study in school? And why did you choose that job? And did you change your mind halfway through? And, you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, quickly, it became more about tell me about your family and tell me where you come from and tell me what's hard and what have been the surprises and all these kinds of really rich life story questions. And so now um, about 18 pairs get together every couple of months during the school year and they have a 90-minute conversation and then they stand up and they report out what they learned about their partner. There's always tears and laughter and surprises and I'm coming back, I want to do this again. And um, so now the kids have started to videotape it. And they're having a grand uh, production uh, next week at the end of the school year. Uh, and they've invited all of our members that have participated in it. So it's, you know, seeing that, that problem. So understanding what some of these larger social issues are for all of us. And then thinking, okay, what can we do concretely, as you say, at a grassroots level, at a, on an individual level, to change that, to improve that? So now these kids... They've got an experience with an older adult they never would have met otherwise. And the same is true for our members, to understand what kids are going through now and kids from another country and kids that have just learned English, you know, in the last five years and now they're in high school and they're having to deal. And so it's, it's really enriching. It's fascinating. I was listening to Michael Krasny on, um, on uh, KQED, his wonderful morning talk show that probably most of you know. He was interviewing Robert Putnam, who is the guy who's written the great books on social capital. And Putnam has a new book out called Our Children. And basically, one of the key points that Putnam was making was that um, extracurricular activities used to be something that all schools offered to all income levels and that the extracurricular activities were actually critical to developing the social skills that kids need to function in the workplace and so on. But that now it's moved to, to a pay-for-play mm-hmm. model where if you want to go out for the team or this, that, and the other, you have to pay $600 a year. So if you're a low-income parent, you can't do that. So the low-income kids are dropping out of the extracurricular activities, which increases the gap in employment opportunities and everything else. So I was just thinking, you know, one of the realities of West Marin specifically is that we have this much uh, uh, much lamented gap between the Latino community and the Anglo community. And that, um, of course, a lot of the Latinos are employed doing gardening, doing housework, so on and so forth. But they also want to learn English in order to get better work, and so on and so forth. So there's a good English as a second language, you know, program out here. Uh, But imagine for a moment that there was a value proposition between uh, the elders and the Latino community where we were putting together partnerships that said, look, you know, um, I'm happy to come really help you problem solve and learn English or help you make a call to DMV or, mm-hmm. you know, I know how to do certain things that would be useful to you. Mm-hmm. And you can help me a little bit too. And, you know, so one can imagine value propositions that not only help two disadvantaged communities, 
but also build a social capital in a way that mm-hmm. hasn't happened out here yet. Right. Yeah. Intentionality. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Being intentional. So it has an awful lot to do with the specifics of each community mm-hmm. as to what the needs are. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I think all planning endeavors start with that. What, what, is it, what are the needs of this community? Because mm-hmm. the, by starting with the needs or the what are we hoping to gain or mm-hmm. the why of it, you know, why are we doing this? Then the next question is what? What will we do? What are the goals and what are the things that we will set up to meet those needs? So if you were looking at West Moran, what would your guess be of the five top needs? I'm not sure. I've not spent too much time No, here. but I mean, it's a rural community. What rural. Would I would think transportation right. would be huge. Um, one of the things I think you probably have going for you is a sense of um, relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably all know each other. And have, I, I to some degree, within villages and some cross-village stuff, but yeah. a lot of us don't know each other well. Yeah. Um, so probably transportation, probably just like the rest of us, you know, like I don't know what I don't know mm-hmm. about aging, mm-hmm. right? There's so many things that I need to be prepared, mm-hmm. um, about, mm-hmm. uh, so, so the, the educational piece I think is really important. Somebody once said that one of the illusions we carry is that we underestimate how much we're going to change in the aging yeah. process. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting observation, you know? That, I mean, I know it for myself. I know I'm getting older, but I don't, I'm not sure I'm prepared for the level of change, you know? Right. Which, of course, can add to the shock and grief when it happens. Yeah. Whereas if you educate yourself more about it, at least you can recognize it. Right. And you can have certain things in place that you know are going to be your safety net, you know? I mean, all of us need to have all the documents that Mm-hmm. The advanced healthcare directives mm-hmm. and the powers of attorney, and you know the, the all those really important documents in place. We need to have conversations with our loved ones mm-hmm. about what we want as mm-hmm. we age. You know, these are these are my these are the things that are really important to me, and these are the things that are not so important to me. Um, you know, the organization Compassion and Choices. Yeah, yeah, they do a wonderful job of. Um, and there's another one uh, that, that something called the Five Wishes. Yeah, I'm not sure who does Five Wishes, but they're conversation starters. You know, mm-hmm. so they're ways to get you going and and have these conversations with your loved ones. Now, like a lot of us, it's hard to sustain that motivation. Well, okay, I'm this this holiday season, I'm going to sit down with my kids and I'm going to tell them. You know, this mm-hmm. is that's not usually how it works. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, but if I'm having another conversation with my group of friends and we're all saying, you know, I haven't done this yet and this is what we really need to be doing, mm-hmm. it's kind of like peer group pressure, mm-hmm. you know, in a good way. <clears throat> um, and so that's the other thing about a village is that you, all of that knowledge and all of that um, strength that comes in numbers, um, somebody says, no, I've never heard of the five wishes. Tell me about that. Or somebody else says, you know, here's another resource. <clears throat> so, you know, then we, we begin to realize what all the potential is. We, that's something else you and I talked about earlier. That, that's really what attracted me to San Francisco Village to begin with, uh, and it does still every day, is the potential that exists when you bring this many people together. Um, it is, uh, you know, very um, motivating. It's very uh, palpable, the sense. Tell us a story about a person who has stuck in your mind who joined the village and 
what happened. Mm. One. <clears throat> well, let's start with one. Okay, let's start with one. Well, um, I could tell the story of that I told you earlier about one of our members who um, is a cancer survivor, and her partner is living with cancer, and they she's been here a few times, and um, she's kind of the strong one and sort of the caregiver. And um, so recently, they were, she was getting ready to take a trip uh, to her granddaughter's graduation, I think. And she was just standing in the living room and she was explaining to her partner, this is how you water these plants or whatever. And suddenly she just toppled over, fell down and broke her wrist. And she said the toppling came from a cardiac event. Uh, and so once they got her to the emergency room and fixed her arm and then gave her all these tests around her heart um, and sent her home, she was incapacitated uh, with this broken arm. And she, thank goodness her partner comes regularly to our meditation group and he spoke up one morning. And he just said, Jean fell and she broke her arm and she does all the driving and she does all of this and she does all of that and we're kind of lost and so we got on the phone and called Jean, and we lined up various those simple things that she needed to get through this transitional time was somebody to come over and uh, do the dishes. She needed somebody to take her grocery list and go to the grocery store for her. She needed somebody to drive her partner to medical appointments that were already lined up. So we just lined up a series of volunteers to do that. Um, so the, you know, the... Now, the value proposition there is overwhelming. Yeah. In other words, it doesn't seem so big to you until there's an event, right? Right. Or suddenly you're in a new space. Right. And all of a sudden you're calling on a bunch of stuff. But and you need to be in the community long enough right. so that you attract that kind of response because people right. feel you're part of the community. Exactly. Right. And Jean was reluctant to even pick up the phone and call us. Right. So the fact that her partner mentioned it in meditation class was wonderful, and then we made a call to her. Mm-hmm. And that happens too often, that they, people are afraid to ask. Mm-hmm. But it goes back to that, I'm not supposed to ask for help mm-hmm. nonsense. Um, another situation, um, an older couple in their 80s, and he was the primary caregiver for her. And um, she has uh, dementia and some other health issues. And he was the one that was keeping, you know, everything together. And he called me one day and he said, I can't do this anymore. I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so tired. I think I'm getting sick. Um, And her condition's getting worse. And so recently she came in the kitchen and she turned on the stove and she left it on and she left the room and, you know, burned up a pot and this kind of stuff. So we had a long conversation about everything that was going on, including his health conditions. And so I said, you know what? I think the best thing to do is to talk with a geriatric care manager. To have somebody come in. She's a licensed social worker. This is her field. This is her expertise. She's going to come in and talk to both of you and do a whole assessment. She's going to come up with the whole picture of what's going on in all these different areas. And then she'll come up with a care plan. And then we'll be able to implement that care plan by using some professional preferred providers, by using some volunteers, by using some informal support network. And so that's what happened. Kind of transformed that situation. So that thing that, you know, we don't know when we're going to hit the wall. Mm -hmm. We don't know when the, you know, 
the thing is going to occur that we say, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to make a lot of difference if we're in a community first. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, being I, I mean, there, a lot of that happens informally out here, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is a lot of, uh, again, a beloved friend whose partner uh, is very ill. Um, and so there's a, a rallying around that takes place. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, people tend to rally around uh, around the immediate event. Mm-hmm. But then as time right. goes on, it falls off. And that seems to me, uh, even if you have friends who will rally around in the moment, right. that's when community really matters because it's built in and sustained. And you need a broad enough, deep enough community right. to hold it all. Yeah. Because like a lot of us, you know, we have a lady right now who's um, really in a bad situation, living at living alone and her health is deteriorated and she she needs all kinds of support. Well, I've spoken to some of her friends in her informal support network who are saying, we're burned out. We've been doing this now for two years. Mm-hmm. We are tired. We don't know. We don't know if we can do this mm-hmm. anymore. So now we're coming back to the village network. We've got a much broader, deeper network from which to draw. Uh, So we've stepped in. Yeah, you know, it's so fascinating. Uh, I agree with you that it is surprising that this is not more widespread. But uh, you are inventing a new social form. And and if you think about it, Beacon Hill Village started 2002. Mm -hmm. So this is only 13 years later, and already there's whatever. How many did you say? And, well, the second village yeah. didn't start until 2007. Right, so it's so, been eight years. Right. And it's up to... 165. 165 plus another 100 in the right. making. Right. Yeah. Right. We all belong to something called the Village to Village Network. Right, which has its meeting up in Seattle very soon. That's right, in October. I wanted to go, but I don't think I can. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, and there, it's a network that can support people in trying to start villages. There's lots of startup documents and things to think through and checklists and things like that. Now, the package costs like $800 or something. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. I didn't think it was that much. Okay. There's, but it's, just, it's, it's There is a package. A non-trivial amount yeah. just to get the package. Yeah, yeah. that's true. So yeah. if suppose a group of people from West Marin got together and said, Okay, we're going to try to do this, mm-hmm. right? And um, imagine that a group of them decided we're all going to put in something, $100, and we'll get, I don't know, 100 of us, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, some group of people decided to do it. What, would, what are the first three things they'd do? So I'm, a, I'm at a little bit of a disadvantage since I'm not the founder of right. San Francisco Village. I right. came in three years right. in. Um, so I check with the, the Village to Village Network, and I'm sure that they, they have, have a whole list. very specific okay. about what you need to do first. Okay. Um, but one thing I would definitely think is um, what you said earlier about doing a survey of all the services, everything that exists in your community, understanding your ecosystem. Mm-hmm. and how you're going to fit into that ecosystem mm-hmm. is really important. So it's a scoping. It starts yeah. with a scoping. Yeah. What's there already that you don't have to replicate? Exactly. And in doing that, you're also going to find out where your support is. 
Right, and uh, and you connect with the people who you've got to be critical allies of. Right. And have a lot of the expertise. Right. So what are the services available, and also then what are the gaps or needs? That's right. So it's a needs assessment as well as a service. Yeah. That's right. right. Um, and then, you know, also we talked about um, visionary leadership. Yeah. So having somebody that you know can bring a lot of people in is right. really important. Right. Um, and I would say, I'll say that when they were raising funds to start San Francisco Village, they were asking founding members for $1,000, not 100 Oh, really? Yeah. And they got 80 people to become founding members. Wow. And that was their, their seed money. They knew from the beginning that they wanted to hire a professional staff. Right. So, you, you know, that's... As yeah, that's the big choice. The big choice is whether you're going to try to do it on a volunteer level or whether you're going to... And I think that, you know, the truth is that we're all getting older and um, we have a limited... Our capacity is more limited than it used to be. Um, <clears throat> it's one thing for the board members to say to me, here, Kate, you know, go do this. Mm -hmm. You know, you're being paid to do this. Mm -hmm. um, and that's... But if they have to keep catching the ball... You know, that's hard. I'll be really interested because I think the Whidbey Group is going to try to do it on a volunteer basis. Mm -hmm. But um, the thing about Whidbey, which is so fascinating, I mean, I'm a big fan of West Marin. I've lived here uh, since 1972 for 43 years, and I love it. But I'll tell you, the social capital is denser on Whidbey than it is here. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what combination of reasons. Partly, I think it's an island. Mm -hmm. Partly, it's like still more of a frontier. It's like where Bolinas was 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. But the social capital is denser. And, um, and the place, uh, it's just so fascinating. Most people shop in the used clothing stores and the used furniture stores. And, you know, it's like, and there's a tremendous take care of each other ethic, just tremendous. I mean, mm -hmm. make sure nobody goes hungry, that everybody gets food, that, you know, the eight or ten nonprofits that my friend started, one was so people would be able to get back to school supplies for their kids so they wouldn't stop their medications. Another was a Hearts and Hammers group that one day a, a, a year, you know, like, 500 people go out and fix elderly people's homes. Mm -hmm. So there are all these amazing evidences of social capital. Mm -hmm. I love West Marin, mm -hmm. and it's an incredibly creative place. But in my experience, it doesn't have that level of social capital. It has a lot of social capital, but it seems to me that the volunteer model works more where social capital is most dense. And that we have... A, a, like a lot of social capital compared to a lot of places that have very little at all. Mm -hmm. But my guess is that we probably will need uh, to hire somebody. Yeah, and I think too that as you get started, you're going to discover a lot of things about the community right. you might not have known. That's true. Um, you know, and the young people that are really eager to participate. They are. And the middle-aged folks that are really eager to participate. I mean, yeah. there's a whole message around paying it forward. Right. You know, is if we can really kind of identify the fact that all of us are aging, you know, that someday this will be me, and I want to build this so that it's here um, for all of us. I mean, that's a really powerful message. You're listening to a conversation with Kate Hepke and Michael Lerner. And I may just be wrong about the level of social capital. It may just be that I'm so caught up in doing Commonwealth that I don't notice that the place is just flowing with social capital, and I... Mm -hmm. Managed to miss it over the last. <laughs> so, 
You know, one of, one of the things, too, that we've done successfully is um, we do, like, Saturday days of service, yeah. like what you're describing. And we find groups of people that are interested in a day of volunteering. Mm-hmm. They might not want to be with us ongoing, right. but they want to give us a Saturday. Mm-hmm. So this might be a local company that has mm-hmm. a group of volunteers, mm-hmm. or it could be a group of students mm-hmm. that are all in the same class together, or it could be any, any kind of a group. And that's been really successful. Wow. Yeah. How many of those do you do a year? Oh, probably four or five a year. Wow. Yeah. They've become quite popular. So the members will come up with those pesky to-do lists, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had one lady, you know, she's got really bad knees, and she hadn't scrubbed her kitchen floor in a long time. Mm -hmm. So she had those young people come in and scrub that kitchen floor. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we've got people that are moving boxes around and painting the back Mm -hmm. stairs and you know, um, fixing this and fixing that, cleaning out gardens, um, Mm. all kinds of things. There's a tremendous feeling of goodwill that Mm. comes from that, which I think from the volunteers' perspective is the payback. Mm -hmm. You know, they they get to the end of the day and they're tired and they say, yeah, but that was really terrific. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to do that again. I'd like to open it up to to some comments and questions. Please say your name, but I want to start with Beth. Beth, because you are the, well, you're the, coordinator for West Marin Senior Services for this and of uh, uh, Belina Stinson. Is it Belina Stinson or Amir Beach? Beach. So you've heard us talking. What? How long have you been doing this, Beth? Um, about four years. Okay. So what are your observations from, and if you can speak up a little bit so we get it on the, maybe you could stand up. That would help if you don't mind. What are your observations about um, what you've noticed, uh, just what you're hearing, what would your advice be about this? I have a lot right now in yeah. my head. It's kind of swimming. Yeah. Um, and for me, I oftentimes, um, I put a call out for um, volunteers and things. I sort of am sick of hearing it myself, and it's uh, generally pretty hard to find a pool of people. So when I hear you talking about, oh, there's electricians, or you can get this done, these small things that are happening that it's beautiful it's exactly over here and what is needed because I think we're there's certain things that West Warren Senior Services we have a really good process for such as placing a caregiver we have a little bit for transportation and, and food but then when these um, requests come in and they come quite often into me for for small things that don't take a caregiver and then the community is perfect they make a perfect fit so mm-hmm. um when you're speaking, I, it's almost like I know where our gap is and how we could almost fit together. And in and, and another um, way, too, I feel that this is a tremendous time. It's perfect that this is arising because I don't know how many of you have gone to the community meetings and the community meetings, which have been drawing like 300 people, are actually driven by younger folks. So. Mm-hmm there's a desire happening. They, they see what's happening and they want to be a part of it. And so if we could just merge the conversation. Yeah, yeah. introduce the idea to them. Um, it also makes me think of a village I'm aware of in Plumas County, California, where um, they have, um, their membership is not limited to older adults. They have families of all ages that are members and they don't have a lot of volunteers otherwise or they don't have a lot of professional services so they help each other out so the request comes in and they ask another member of the village to go out and provide that so that might be a more reasonable solution um 
Yeah, and if you made your membership broader, so it didn't have to be 60 plus, you know, it could be an attempt to, you want to create this village that's going to support older adults, but it's going to include this whole array of ages of people. Yeah. Now, in starting the questions, I'd like to try an experiment. Uh, If you'd say your name and you'd say before you ask your question, what you would like to commit to doing for a village in West Marin. That will kind of help Sitting us sort. Sitting on your sort. hands, aren't you? It'll kind of help us sort the idly curious from people. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It's like I'd like to at least give a day of service a year. Or but, but let's start with people who actually want to do this together. Okay, well, let's start the conversation with them. Yeah, go ahead. Say your name and Francis. could you stand up? Francis? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Fran, I'm keeping Fran. my hat on. My yeah. hair's dirty. Yeah. It started, like Beth said, it started. Yeah. It's, it's been, we've had huge volunteers from the younger uh, adult community saying that they're willing to mm. do exactly what's needed. It's just that it's, we're at that crucial point of how do we mm. kick it off. And I think that it's interesting that in our community, we do tend to kind of have a feudal base, mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of, which mm-hmm. we can mm-hmm. talk about later. But it's already began, begun. There's an arm of the Blinas Community Land Trust that's been established called the Affordable Housing Alliance. And we're trying to find, identify people who are interested in exchanging actually residential space mm-hmm. for maintenance and care. Mm-hmm. So that's one part of the community. I think wow. that's we, we use more advice, but it's, so there's all these pockets. It's just getting them together. But see, I think altruism only works if you get something in return. It's yeah. not about just volunteering. Yeah. So if a, if you ask a teenager to go uh, into uh, elders' home for information, then tutor them. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. get a, you got you got to have an exchange, or then it's just it's one day of volunteering. So, Fran, what what was what were you willing to commit to? I've already committed to it. I'm on the board of the Bolinas Community Land Trust, and we Thank started you. the Affordable Housing there Alliance. You go. Fantastic. <laughs> Thank well, you. Well, and Francis, what you're also saying, I think, is a structure. You're talking about you've got these pockets of interest and you know people right. that want something, but you need some structure around yeah. it that's gonna that's really gonna make it gonna move it forward. Yeah, yeah. and so, it's, it's the leadership, but it's also I think a paid position is a very important element. Yeah. Right. And so, and so adding to our list of West Marin uh, Senior Services is the Bolinas Community Land Trust Affordable Housing Project would Alliance. Be, Alliance, which would be another partner in helping us develop and think exactly. this out. I also agree with what you say about mutually beneficial partnerships. I think that's so important. And um, I mean, I do it in terms of like when I'm looking for a strategic partner for the village, I'm going to sit down and talk with them about, well, this is what's in it for us. What's in it for you? And we got to be really clear about that because if it's not well stated, then we get ourselves in all kinds of murky down the road. And on an interpersonal level, I agree with you. That that's it's very important, and it will sustain this over time. So if somebody's able to walk away from this experience and say what they got from it. That's personal accountability. Mm-hmm. It's like I know why I do this. So just one question I have: Do you offer? Do you send out like people who can start help start it up? Do you have people mm-hmm. who have the expertise that you know say as the community we could we could uh, have a consultation? Um, not formally. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so we could talk about that. There are a lot of us in the Bay Area that are um, involved in villages. I don't know the number right off the top of my head, but probably about 18 or 20 villages exist from you know Palo Alto up to um, Marin County. So I'm sure that we could find some resources. Um, w- May I say something? Yes, but please start. My name is Judith Shaw. Hello. Um, just in the last three weeks, we have a group of women who signed on. <laughs> I would say maybe 30 women. And we started the group um, probably three or four years ago. And we really just have an email list. But we've been available to each other to do... There may be, might even have been one man. Um, and we ha- we're available to, uh, for each other's... Um, mostly it's turned out to be a health-related issue. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't been that someone needed groceries. But we've had uh, friends in the hospital this past uh, month. And what we've done is we've been advocates for them, both in the hospital, getting them there, getting help to um, be in their homes. Food, we're just wonderful with here. We all know how to cook. We can do it beautifully, and we do it for everybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, the people that Michael was talking about are benefiting from that couple. They're benefiting from this. Um, I called UPS to pick up packages for somebody just today. Um, so there's not a limit to what we as women who are able to do can do. Mm-hmm. And I would love to engage more people in this small, because it is kind of small, even though there are 30 names on the list, there are never 30 people available. So, and it's all volunteer. Yeah. Uh, and we can all afford to do it in terms of our time and our energy. And that's yeah. what's so special. Yeah. Um, especially the energy level. That's beautiful, Judith. And it yeah. also suggests another it's thing. The beginning. So we're doing yeah. it. Yeah. It, it, it suggests it. that part of, as we look around at things like this, the circles like that, and the white caps and other things. In sure. other words, we begin to figure out what are the networks mm-hmm. that either might expand. For example, your group of 30 women might expand to... Oh, yeah. yeah. Anyone can put their name on our Right. Side. So it doesn't all have to be invented by a village. It can be a network process by which a village comes together from existing yes. resources and yes. figures and out what else is That's the successful yeah. model, that, that sort of that curator role. It's a curating role. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's an idea that yeah. someone puts forward or forth, and then, of course, the people who want to glom onto that idea glom on, and yeah. it becomes a really yeah. nurturing for everybody, by the way, because it's just a give and take uh, yeah. situation. Yeah. Other comments? Harriet. Well, um, you had said that, oh, you know, <laughs> but my name is Harriet Thompson, and I just have a question. You had said that you have a staff of four. Mm-hmm. Does your budget come from seed money, or does it come from outside funding, and then you use the, the subscriptions mm-hmm. to your program as operating expenses? How does yeah. that work? So at this point now, six and a half years in, we have an operating budget that includes uh, the revenue sources are membership fees. That's about 30%. And um, 70% is from a combination of fundraising and foundation grants. And that's split. So it's about 30, 30, 30, or 33, you know. It's about a third each. Um, and we're hoping at some point we're going to become more self-sustaining um, as we grow and we get more members, then we're going to be less reliant on foundations and fundraising. Um, We actually have three FTEs, full-time equivalents, but we have four human beings. 
So there's two of us that are full-time and two people that are part-time. Um, and so we leverage that, you know, we get the, as, mu as much as we can out of the limited resources we have. Our annual budget is about $400,000. And you do the fundraising, the, the four people that are involved? We have a really active board of directors. And um, they and, really and, and eminent. Pardon me? Our, your, your advisory board is eminent as well. As yeah, we do have an advisory yeah. committee as well that we don't use as well as we should and we could. But um, our board of directors is very active. So we do one big fundraising luncheon in the spring. We just had it. And we do an annual appeal uh, letter in at the end of the year. And, um, and then the foundation grants. And then the municipal commitment now. So, Harriet, I didn't hear what you would be willing to commit to. <laughs> I'm just listening. <laughs> it's good. Right. It's fair. It's Other fair. comments? Yes. Um, I'm Maria Morigas. Hi, Maria. Hi. It's really nice to hear you talk about this. It clarifies so much for me. And what I'm hearing a little bit is that we're repeating ourselves because I actually go to a once-a-month meeting of people that come together to deal or to talk to each other about problems in aging. Mm -hmm. And one of the topics that is always prevalent, prevalent is, or whatever, prevalent. <laughs> My husband says, a good thing I know you, I always know what you mean. <laughs> um, is this isolation yeah. thing that happens to us and we have I'm from Bolinas and we have a place downtown called the Rod and Boat which is a facility that kind of sits on the water and it, and it has a membership that meets there and then sometimes there are pancake, you know, it's a facility so when I brought it up in our meeting I said, you know, we really do have a pretty well located place where we could just have it available when it isn't being, and you know, all of a sudden, all these barriers. No, nope, you can't do that. You know, you no. Mm. And so, what I got out of that, I really was kind of interesting. I said, you know, maybe it's time for everyone to get out of their comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Not just the people that want to be self. My husband isn't here. He's eighty-five. Mm -hmm. He needs to be here. Now, I don't know what kind of denial he's living in, but he is totally living in denial, you know? And what can I do? Mm -hmm. So the same with this, the fact that there are places around that are public that could be used for this. You know, it just feels like I don't know how to get started. Right. You know, and so I'm more than happy to be on an organizing committee. And I have a really strong personality, you guys. <laughs> Don't hate me for it, you know. But I do many times get things done. So you're, yeah. the, you're the first defined member of the audience. <laughs> All right. And so, yeah. That's All great. Right. Thanks. Right. Well, something that you bring up, Maria, is that um, it has to do with, um, you know, sort of the administrative tasks that are associated in creating a new organization. There's all kinds of, can we use the space? Can we not use the space? Are there liability issues? Are there rental fees? Are there this? Are there that? Um, one way to think about it um, is to become, uh, to find a fiscal sponsor so that you're not necessarily, you don't have to right away, you don't have to become a 501c3 and, and deal with all that stuff. I don't know about Marin Senior Services or some other organization that might act as a fiscal sponsor. 
um, where then you become a program of that organization. It's one thing to look into. Yeah. Yeah, we could figure that out. Mm -hmm. That would not be hard. Because those things can be overwhelming. And you don't want to get, you don't want to stumble on that. You know, that shouldn't be the main focus. Yeah. Jill. Well, I'm on with you, Maria. Because I, I've been trying to find a volunteer positions. I've talked to Beth and haven't been able to, she hasn't been able to get people to help all the time when she's needed help. And I couldn't, didn't get any calls. And I finally sent an email out, said, let's start doing this again. And then several of us are falling apart in the process of <laughs> <Yeah>. help. <laughs> um, but it, I, I'm so on for this. I mean, I've been helped through two illnesses, and it's been remarkable. I mean, I was, in, I was here for a year, I think, and I broke my leg. Can you imagine living alone with a broken leg? Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I mean, yes. and, and I lived in Berkeley for 20 years. I wouldn't have had the help that I got here. I, it was unbelievable. My friends, you know, it was just like people did things for me, walked my dog, and mm -hmm. so that was my inspiration. We've got to just make an or some kind of organization. I know we don't want a lot of organization. I mean, you brought me food. I mean, it was like, you know, I got, I could still remember the meatloaf, you know. Yes. I'd love to be a part of you know, making this happen. And I also have volunteered as a hospice volunteer, so I like just visiting people and, mm -hmm. you know. So, I mean, for each of us to talk about what we want to do, and actually June McAdams is, is on, you know, when we started this email list again, um, I called June and she's and I said, how do we do this? And she said, give me your names. Mm -hmm. So right now she's already with us. I mean, she's going to be overwhelmed if we start a lot, get a lot going on. But she said, I need people to volunteer. And so I've been reading her names of people that, that have contacted me and Judith. And I've been on this thing together. Um, so, you know, we're ready to go. Uh -huh. That's great. Who else? Other That's comments? Great. Yes, Roger. Kind of off the topic, but <laughs> when you um, when you brought up the idea that uh, seniors were respected because they were the vehicles of tradition, mm -hmm. and now the tradition is gone, mm -hmm. it reminded me of a classic line from T.S. Eliot. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, mm -hmm. In his criticism, <coughs> he says. Uh, why study the classics, say the young? We know so much more than they do. Right. To which he replied, precisely, they are what you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's lovely. That's lovely. Thank you, Roger. Other comments? Mm. Ken? I actually had um, something to add. Um, in terms of West Marin having kind of like a small feel, and you had talked earlier about younger um, families and couples uh, mm -hmm. being involved in this. I know for, from my experience, um, like we've gone through four different surgeries where my wife was kind of incapacitated for a number of weeks. We've had a couple of kids, mm -hmm. you know. We kind of fit in that same um, income bracket where we make a little bit too much to afford those services. Yeah. And, you know, I'm also, the t I'm the kind of guy who can come by and help you with your iPhone, mm -hmm. you know. So, um, I know at least out in this area, I mean, and we, we had a lot of help from people in our school district, 
and who were just friends. Mm -hmm. And that was really great. But it would be really cool to have someone like my mom, who lives in, in Texas, who can't come out all the time, to come out and, and help someone in that particular situation. I don't know how you would structure it, but it just seems like there might be an even wider pool um, out in this area, anyway, to, uh, to, to pull from. I agree with you, Ken. I think there's some, the more I listen to all of you, the notion of building a village that's already multi-generational from the get-go makes a lot of sense out here. And so, you know, but focusing, not losing focus on the fact that you're hoping to support older adults, but also, you know, in the process, families of all ages are going to get supported. So I'm imagining, as you were saying, what if a retiree who had some time could come after school, while your wife is recovering from surgery or whatever, welcome the kids home from school, be there for a couple of hours. Um, you know, so there's all kinds of things that you could put in place uh, based on your individual needs. Right, and like my, my now middle schooler, uh, who, who volunteers part of school at the senior luncheon at the Sandrona Valley Community Center, um, could go out and, and help clean someone's house. Right. You know, and she might even get some community hours out right. of the deal and as she goes into high school and stuff like that. So I don't know. I just wanted to kind of put that that perspective out a little bit as well. Um, I think that's very valuable. So let yeah. me formally relax the criterion of, of people who plan to contribute. I just wanted to get that out there. Neil, you have a question. Um, clarification. Neil's my name. Um, I thought I saw in your materials that this was really a focus on helping people stay in their homes, but um, I didn't see anything here saying whether they're owners or renters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Are they both? Oh, they're both. Both owners and renters of their homes. Um, you know, depending on who you ask, um, but the figure that we all bandy about is that about 90% of Americans say that as they age, they want to stay in their own home and neighborhood. Um, so whether they own it or whether they rent it. Um, and of course, the, the truth of that is that aging occurs on a continuum. So you may be able to stay in your home up until a point. The time may come where you need to make a move to a retirement community or you know, a nursing home or an assisted living community. That can happen, this certainly happened within our membership. One of the things, one of the value propositions, part of the value proposition is that we help counsel them in that selection. And we kind of give them resources as to how they should go about that. Um, so, and the other thing that's a problem, I don't know if it's a problem here, but in San Francisco, many people that rent have rent controlled apartments and they also have 25 steps up to their front door and they can't afford to move because the apartment they're living in, they're paying four or $500 a month for. And if they move, it'll be four or 5,000. And if they were to get into a building with an elevator or something like that. So there's a lot of, you know, the housing issues, huge. Um, and the other thing that's interesting about housing is that for folks that own a home, um, they're, equity is all tied up. They may be equity rich and cash poor, yes. right? Because they're living on a fixed income, but they've got this, this equity. Um, and so the idea of sharing that home and getting some revenue in, in terms of in the form of rent is uh, being explored, I think, by a lot of people. Uh, I think it's a, it's a really interesting solution. 
Yes. Another wonderful thing in our town is food for families on Monday night. And chefs get together and donate food. And some of us, a lot of, there's a pool of people who take it around to people mm -hmm. who are recovering from illnesses or new, new mamas. That's another uh, wonderful thing. And it reminds me of the Ceres model mm -hmm. up in Sebastopol. I don't know, I'm sure you're aware of the Ceres. We have it in the right here. Yes, I now it's here. Series project. Yeah. Series project. Mm -hmm. oh. I just, I just wanted. So that's another way some of us So hi, I'm Jeannie Grafenfey. I'm Steve Siegel's representative from Coastal Health Alliance. Oh, wonderful! Welcome. <laughs> and I'm just. Uh, I took care of both my mom and dad um, in Stinson Beach at our home, and took care of my brother in Canada, sadly, recently. Um, but I volunteer to talk to Steve and see what we can do. Absolutely. This is incredibly was, important. Steve was invited to this and yeah. said he couldn't come. And very, okay. Say your name again, please. Jeannie. 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 Thank you. Yes. Hi. I'm Joan Robbins, and I'd like to just inform those of you who don't know, and many of you are here, that for about a year and a half, we've had a senior support group, which we call the Third Age, which is from a French expression. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've been meeting once a month at the firehouse. And I would say it's been the most fantastic experience in my professional career mm -hmm. of finding a place that feels safe mm -hmm. to express the vulnerabilities of age. Mm -hmm. yeah. The things that have been discussed there were just are just astounding. It's taken a while, but I think everyone who mm -hmm. comes feels very safe. Yeah. And we've been able to talk about feeling humiliated at the changes, the shame of it, as well as the excitement of the things we still can do and the challenges we face in aging. And it seems to me that no matter what else we plan, we must keep a place for these kinds of feelings to be expressed because sometimes our friends and children don't want to listen to this and we have each other to talk to about it. That's beautiful. It is beautiful. It's so valuable. Yeah. And I've been fortunate enough to come. Yes. And Tihan also came and talked about the village movement. So. And lots of people are here today. Yeah, and, and we're so grateful for your... In other words... You know, the piece that Judith talked about, there are a lot of pieces that are coming up that Fran talked about. In other words, what we're hearing is that actually there's this whole network of existing services, support groups, and everything else. And the kind of village that we would want to create would really not be something new. It would be something that built on the strength mm -hmm. of all these things and then asked where there were pieces that people felt especially strongly needed because the more people are already doing it the less that needs to be done yeah. the more you can focus on the critical pieces that haven't been addressed yet or you know mm. so it it makes the fees lower yeah. it makes the staff smaller yeah. and it makes the whole thing more manageable and it encourages a whole ecosystem of services that aren't dependent on a single structure so this is like a learning process for all of us about hearing about how this it's, could work. This also brings to mind um, a group in Petaluma. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Village Network of Petaluma. Is that Alexandra Hart and Lucky Cloth? Maybe there's another group. Oh, no, I know It's an elder, yeah. elder salon they have monthly. Right. No, the, the, the Village Network of Petaluma is a village in Petaluma, and their founder's name is Anne Greenblatt, and they have a wonderfully rich 
community of people. But like yourselves, I mean, it's reminding me of what I'm hearing here is that there's all these things that, you know, people have different focus. So let's not lose focus on this and let's pay attention to this. And we already have an existing group here. And it's like bringing it together in a coherent way and saying, you know, then looking for the gaps and saying, what now what do we need to do? And what do we need to do to sustain this over time so that it's not just kind of piecemeal, if you will? Yes, yeah, uh, I'm Bing Dong. Um, uh, maybe you're aware of it, Michael, but uh, James Stark and uh, Penny, right down the road here at Commonwealth Garden, uh, they do a fire circle on the full moon. And... Uh, it's a traditional way elders have gathered, and it, something different comes up every time. What's around last time, there was a, a young group that was spilled over from a, a, a workshop they had there with Joanna Macy and the work that reconnects, and half the group were younger people, and it's open to intergenerational too. But what came up was uh, this young person knew a friend of his uh, committed suicide. He was an activist, I guess, and uh, that was the discussion. What is the role of elders in what we're facing as a, a planetary wise? Thank you, Ben. Thank you. Other comments? One more. Yes, sure. One more suggestion uh, for all of us. Not, not for, for you, you probably do that. Um, what I found myself in the role, the role that I found myself in over the past several months has been with three separate people going to their physician with them, not because they couldn't drive, okay. but because they wanted to have somebody mm -hmm. in the room mm -hmm. to yes. hear what was happening mm -hmm. to them so mm -hmm. it could be verified for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a physician, I'm not a nurse. I don't have professional experience there, but I, I can hear well, and I am very good in that kind of situation. So I can make judgments and make suggestions yeah. and clarify what isn't yeah. easy to clarify yeah. many times. So I think that that's a part of what we all can yeah. do for each other. Not out of the necessity of having to drive, but the no. necessity of just being a companion. Mm -hmm. Advocate. We do that, and many villages do that. Um, in uh, Berkeley, uh, Ashby Village, they call it Med Pals. Um, yeah, and but it, it's you're right. It's just needing to have somebody go because I can't ask. I can't figure out what the doctor's telling me. Right, I'm I'm not feeling well. I'm stressed. I'm scared. Whatever, and so the information's not really processing. And having somebody there with me uh, helps me, you know, take ownership of it later on. You're listening to a conversation with Kate Hepke and Michael Lerner. Yes. I'm Nancy. Um, I have a question about the structure. You have four staff members and you said that all of you were professionally, had a professional background in gerontology or, mm -hmm. I don't know, social services. Mm -hmm. I wonder if you can just talk to me, talk to us about what the qualifications are, like what, yeah. what your skill set is in yeah. terms of an uh, organization and um, also, who recruits the volunteers and how do you do that? Because that's mm -hmm. a, obviously a key element to making yeah. all of this work. It is, and it's a really good question. Uh, and not being shy to ask it of yourselves. Who has the skill set to do this? So it's not just something that happens kind of randomly. Um, so 
my background, I've been working in the field of aging for about 15 years. And uh, just before I came to the village, I was a director of sales and marketing at a really large retirement community. So I was on the other side of the the table, if you will. I was trying to convince people to move into a retirement community. And then I defected and I went on the other side. Um, and so um, my, my professional background is in community building. I've been doing this most of my professional life. And uh, as I told Michael at lunch, um, in my mid-50s, I went back to school and got a master's in business. Um, so this is really my first job of getting to apply all that. Which but you is, also started a mom's thing. Yeah. Say a word about that. So um, I created a network of social support networks called Mother's Clubs in the Bay Area. I started 40 of them uh, back in the 90s. And uh, there's many of them in Marin County. Um, they're, they're all in, I think, six or seven Bay Area counties now. So you, just to repeat this, you've been doing community building all your career. Right. Yeah. Yeah, all my career. Yeah. And I studied community building with uh, the Foundation for Community Encouragement, which was founded by M. Scott Peck, which is how I met Lucky Goff in 1990 when he was David. Um, And so, yeah, so I've got a a lengthy background. Um, And then our program coordinator is a master's in social work, um, but she's also a yoga therapist. And she found her life becoming kind of isolated, and she wanted to get back into community. So this is a perfect thing for her. And she has aging parents, and so it's quite relevant. Um, And then we have a communications coordinator that we just hired this year that has a master's in gerontology. And um, her previous career was in graphic design. And so, yeah, things just have worked out beautifully. And then our um, manager of member services and and volunteers uh, worked for the Lighthouse for the Blind for about seven years, managing all the volunteers there. Um, And so it really is, that's a very important skill set. Um, and being able to recruit them, train them, and connect them in an appropriate way. Um, and so we have a lot of, we were happy to share anything that we've created. That's also kind of the ethos of the village movement, is that all of us pretty much will share whatever it is that people are asking us for. So we have a volunteer handbook, and we have a volunteer training that we share with other people. Um, so... And I, you know, I will say that I have friends in the village movement that don't have this kind of background. You know, they don't have um, the executive director at Ashby Village in Berkeley has never worked with seniors before, before he came on in that job. Um, So he's learned a lot on the job, but he's got great organizational skills and right. So, you know, it's um, it is important to find the right skill set and ask that of each other. I just I'm going to repeat that. Um, I think in managing volunteers, I think sometimes we defer to people's kindness and we say, well, I'm so glad that you volunteered. Thank you very much. But are you the right person to be doing this? Um, And so we have to find the right language and the courage to be able to say, no, you know what? I think maybe Barbara is going to be a better person to do that. Or um, let's do a job description and then let's distribute it. And then let's, you know, maybe interview potential volunteers for this. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, but let me just first check. Anybody who has not spoken yet, this we're getting toward the end. Yes. Yeah. Um, I am Mark and an employee of West Marin. I'm actually going to be responsible for volunteers in Point Reyes Station, right. which may be completely separate from Bolinas. I don't mm-hmm. see that much overlap. 
Um, but I also want to, I think you may know, and some of you also may know, that, uh, that there was a grand jury report here in Rin, and Louis Sutro was the person that started the Rin Village after being on that uh, on that board and reporting it. And they just opened the Bado, uh Village last weekend. I was there at that, and there was a really key video of someone who I happen to know who had joined the video, joined the uh, village in Tiburon just because she was feeling isolated. And then a little bit later, she had a stroke. Mm. And so the idea that you need to have the community before yeah. was so beautifully illustrated mm. that she was you know, gathering for, for uh, activities and then she got the help. But a question I have that's not clear in my mind is the fact that um, people may need a caregiver and you would give a preferred provider, but then the individual themselves, they have to pay for the provider, they are the ones that are responsible. It's not as if the village is going to, can you say a little bit more about caregivers? Yeah, absolutely. We, no, we don't pay for those services. If we think it's appropriate for a volunteer to fulfill a need, then we would uh, you know, send a volunteer. But when it comes to caregiving, that's beyond our scope. That's beyond what a volunteer can do. So we can give a referral, but the individual is going to have to pay for those services themselves. Right. We don't. Now, in in this in in um, I can think of one provider in San Francisco who gives an automatic discount to a village member. So they'll call up and say, well, you know, the village told me to call and he'll say, great. OK, well, if we have a deal, then I'm going to give you a seventy five dollar coupon or whatever towards this this body of care that you're going to require. So um, but no, people have to pay for that themselves. Yeah. So let me ask a question. How many people in this room would like to be involved in one way or another in exploring the network, just out of curiosity? Just wow, want to get that's great. No, just in some way. <laughs> <laughs> Did some you way. bring your checkbook, I hope? <laughs> some way. Okay, so there's a, a considerable great. body of people who would like to do that. So um, then a second question is, um, how many people would like to be in at the start helping just with the organizing process? Who would like to engage with this? This is not a required thing, but just I'm trying to figure out who in the room actually wants to do that. Okay, so let's see. So we've got That's Maria, great. we've got Jill, uh, we've got Judith, uh, Somebody we've got that Linda. Down. We've got Susie. Get their names. Get their names and their phone numbers. I'll tell you what. Why don't you all give Tihan your names and contact information? Uh, for Michael, will you see that the, the clipboard that's being passed around is signed by everybody? Right. Because some people came in late and didn't get it. Yeah, them. and if you can't get it on the clipboard, just put it on a piece of paper and we'll... There are so, of pages on the clipboard. Okay. So we will create an email list of everybody who's here who wants to be on it. And the people who are volunteering at the start, uh, give Tehan your name. And so what the new school would like to offer is um, that I always ask you to consider supporting the new school at the end of these. So from this session, any contributions will be put aside in a separate fund to support the beginning of this village project. So, let me, uh, that's 
you for that, but let me encourage you to be generous. We do not, uh, we do not discourage significant contributions to this because we're going to need support from all of us. Um, and finally, I want to... Uh, One more question over here. Oh, yeah. Linda. I have a question for yeah. that. The professional help that one might need. Like, um, if I fell down, I live alone. If I fell down, broke my leg, and I need a plumber. Yeah. Do you, is there a group of plumbers that you would recommend? Are there any plumbers? Are, are there professional people who volunteer, or are they all being paid? And how do you find me? Yeah, well, so we've been building this network now for six years. So um, we do have, for example, when it comes to, I'll use handymen as an example. We have a couple of people that are volunteer handymen, and then we have about three that are paid. So sometimes a member will call up and say, no, I don't want to volunteer. I want to pay somebody. I, I want to make sure that this is, you know, a business contract. Um, we just had recently a woman who is a, a downsizing organizer, has been a professional her whole life, and she just retired, and she's going to volunteer with us in that capacity. So that's rare. Usually these people are paid. Um, so if, you know, you call up the office, we have probably, I don't know, I'm going to say 35 different categories of providers. Uh, and then we also, um, and, and our volunteers, the, the categories are probably a, a lot more streamlined than that. There's probably about five or six main categories that people ask for. That, that's helpful. Is that helpful? So do you think that the Marin people have that same group? Not your group, not in San Francisco, but... If, if you're in the new Nevada village or if you're in the Ross Valley village, you can call for a plumber from Muzz Village. <laughs> that, you, that, that somebody from Ross Valley village could call Lisa Franklin as an example. Absolutely. So that's how it's set up. So Lisa is the executive director of the, of the hub. Right. Yeah, and so all those five villages in East Marin, if you need a plumber or you need a handyman, you're going to call Lisa's office, uh -huh. and Lisa's okay. going to put you on to somebody. Right. Michael, I just want to make one quick comment. My name is Jane, and I'm not from West Marin. I'm from Sonoma, and with a friend also from Sonoma. And so we can't help with the organization, but um, I really want to take this forward to Sonoma because I don't think we've started that discussion yet. And I would like to stay involved and see how this evolves. Mm -hmm. And so it'll be lessons learned. Well, please give Tihan your names and let's create a, a new village partnership here. Uh, also, let me just say, in case, because this is my job, I have to ask these things. If, if, uh, if you don't want to contribute today, but you can go to the Commonweal donate thing, and there's a place on the donation where you can indicate what it's for. If you just put village, it'll go into this segregated account. And if you have a family foundation or something that wants to do something, we will serve as at least a starting fiscal sponsor for anybody who wants to get something started. So it's my job to offer these. But having said that, we truly want this to go somewhere else and be done uh, by uh, an independent uh, group in West Marin. I'd like to ask Catherine Porter, who's here from the West Marin Fund and has been involved in a lot of this work. Just, you've been listening, uh, you've watched a lot of efforts in West Marin to do things. Any reflections on what you've heard? 
I'm really pleased to, to hear how many, I had no idea how many different things are happening just in Bolinas. It's my sense that maybe not as many, but almost as many are happening in Point Ray Station, a couple in Inverness, up in Tamales. So I'm excited to imagine a conversation among all of the groups. Maybe we'll do a convening or what we call a concept on those who are thinking through services for our aging populations because it's a rural community. It's one of the things we care about a lot. That would be just I'd also love to talk to other funders. I have mm -hmm. some friends at a small foundation called the Jennifer Altman Foundation. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and a few others. And certainly the Murray Community Foundation, right? It's a huge program on aging. And um, they're donor-advised people. There are 600 individual donors there who I'm sure you know. Mm -hmm. um, many of them care about issues of aging. So I'd Wonderful. love to see the, uh, some funder response once mm -hmm. this gets going. Well, I just have a quick question about the, the ability that you have to tap yeah. into the oh, gerontology sure. group, um, which is sort of seems like it's rare expertise to be able to offer, and how important do you think that is in a in a village mm -hmm. setting to have access to people who can come to a home, do sort of a more thorough assessment of need, people putting pieces together. It seems like it's a rare thing to be able to I think having uh, geriatric care managers in our network has been invaluable. Um, I know when to call them. Um, and um, having people like fiduciaries, um, are in, they're just such important people to have in your, in your network. You got to know who your experts are locally. Um, and I think many, be, you, among all of you, you can piece that together and you've got Marin Senior Services and they know who, who everybody is. Um, I, very important is the short answer to your question. And I, I think most of us, as I said earlier, most of us don't know what we don't know. And um, so we're kind of, we get confronted with a situation and we think we have to figure it out. Um, I, this is a short story. Um, one of our members called me one day and she was just so flustered and you could hear the stress in her voice. And she said, you know, I was a city employee for all these years and I have this pension and I have this medical insurance that comes with my pension. And so I order my prescriptions through the mail and I've been paying $75 for a three month prescription, you know, to fill this this prescription. And suddenly it went from $75 to $475 and nobody can tell me why. And so she's been swirling around her kitchen all morning, making phone calls, trying to figure it out. And I said, who did you call? And she said, I called Medicare. And I said, oh my gosh, that would be a nightmare unto itself. <laughs> then she decided to call AARP. And she was just, she didn't know what she didn't know. And so she called me and I said, Janie, you got to call HICAP. That stands for Health Insurance Counseling and Advocacy Program. And every county has one. And they have counselors and it's free. And whatever your problem is, they're going to help you solve it. And sure enough, she called him up. She got an appointment for a couple of days later. She got the problem solved. So I know knowing who your experts are is really important. Kate Hopke, thank you for being with us. You've been listening to a conversation with Kate Hepke and Michael Lerner. Thank you for joining us at the New School at Commonweal. The New School at Commonweal is directed by Michael Lerner. Our program coordinator is Kara Epstein. Our audio engineer is Ken Adams. And our theme music 
is by Suzanne Chiani. Please visit our website at tns.commonweal.org. That's tns.commonweal.org. Commonweal is spelled C-O-M-M-O-N-W-E-A-L. You can also find us on Facebook 